0: Listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. Join us every week as we break down one issue in global politics, so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics, and my name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Just a few months ago, the globe reached 8 billion people. Current predictions suggest we'll add another billion more in around 15 years before we could start to see a decline. But a new, yet-to-be-peer-reviewed paper by the Earth for All initiative thinks we could struggle to hit 9 billion population and we'll see a peak far lower. Here to look at the figures, I've got Keith here with me. Keith, thank you for joining me. To start us off, what is this new report estimating will happen with the Earth's population?
1: Yeah, so this is, as you say, it's a document from a new group called Earth for All. I'm involved with its work because one of the organisations that brought the group together was the Club of Rome, of which I've been a member for 30-odd years. And so we have been very heavily involved with the debate over what was originally called the population bomb. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a a California scientist, Dr. Paul Ehrlich, who's still alive, he's good old age, but he's still alive. He talked about the fact that the population was gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger and involve all sorts of crises. And the Club of Rome was also of that wavelength that we've got real problems because of the population growth. Now in this report, we're getting a bit of light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. because the prediction that's been made by this research from the Club of Rome and its partners is suggesting that the global population could peak at just below 9 billion people in the year 2050 and then start falling. So it looks as though we have diffused the population bomb. Yeah. So that's some good news. And so what they have got is produced a very detailed report looking at different ways that we can go about making sure the population doesn't get above the nine billion mark. And in particular, it's come up with two scenarios, one called too little, too late, where the world continues to develop economically in a similar way that we've had in the last 50 years, with many of the very poorest countries break free from extreme poverty. And this would see the global population peak at about 8.6 in 2050, and then declining to 7 billion by the year 2100. Mm. In the second scenario, called the Giant Leap, the researchers estimate the population peaks at 8.5 billion by around the year 2040 and declines to around 6 billion people by the end of the century. And this is achieved through unprecedented investment in poverty alleviation, particularly investment in education and health along with extraordinary policy turnarounds on food and energy security, inequality and gender equity. And in this scenario, extreme poverty is eliminated within a generation by the year 2060, with a marked impact on global population trends. So it looks as though the nature of the debate is changing, that in fact, I think we're we're moving from a situation where we're worried about too many people mm. to, in fact, now saying, well, perhaps we're running out of young people. We know, for example, China has reached peak population and China will grow old before it grows rich. So this is an issue that we've touched on in the past, but now we're seeing this as much more of a global issue, not just China going through this transition.
0: In the second example, the giant leap, Listening to you talk through what that would involve, it felt a little bit pie in the sky. <laughs> Can we achieve you're a cynical that? I know, <laughs> I know. Can we achieve something like that in such a short amount of time space? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I guess if you're a realist, just say, well, you have to, otherwise we're all finished. Yeah. So we need to find that. But you're right, you know, if, if being a... A cynical person, which is tragic in <laughs> a woman so young, um, would mean that you you just don't think the political system can deliver the goods, mm. which is why they also do focus on the whole issue of democracy as well. We've got to be able to take the population with us. So, that yep, there's certainly some real problems in being able to achieve that. I think it's useful having at least these stretch goals of trying to bring people together, what they call is to bring citizens together around a common agenda. Mm. In other words, holding up a vision of what can be done. If you look at, well, Australian politics, you know, there there is no vision. It's all point scoring, and it's all driven by what focus groups want in the last hour. Yeah. Whereas what this document is saying is, well, perhaps we should get back into thinking in terms of uh, missions, grand designs, and visions. You know, they're talking about for example, more money going into some of these development projects, we're actually giving less money now in terms of foreign aid Mm. than we were 30 or 40 years ago. So there's a lot that we could do if there were the political will. So it's actually not an environmental problem. It's not a technological problem. It's a political problem Mm -hmm. because what it's saying is that we lack the vision within the current generation of politicians. Very different, by the way, from where we were 80 years ago, at the end of World War II when we designed an economic system that kept us going pretty well for 30 or 40 years from the end of World War II, 1945 onwards. So it is possible that we can come up with some big visions and implement them, but we've got to be careful that we don't just sort of slip back into cynicism and the sort of the point scoring that characterises so much of political systems, not only here, but so mm. many other countries overseas.
0: Why is this research suggesting quite a different outcome to what the UN has predicted with the population?
1: I think the UN has erred on the side of a, a little too much caution. Mm. And this document is sort of saying, well, no, we can do better, but it will require a lot of breakthroughs, but we are capable of achieving those breakthroughs. It's it's not impossible. A great example of this is, um, I'm not sure if we've covered this before, about Uh, the whole issue of Kerala and the experiment that was carried out there 50 years ago. No, I don't think so. Um, Kerala is a province in the south of India. And in India at that time, girls were seen as a waste of time. Indeed, I noticed that in the last few days, there's still complaints that girls get neglected in India because families want boys because boys bring a woman or girl into the family and then she will look after you in your old age. Uh, Whereas if you have a girl, she will marry out and look after somebody else's (laughs) in-laws, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so girls in India were not getting educated. They were just staying at home and helping the mother around the house and that sort of thing. They weren't going to school. And then there was a, a radical minister for education who decided to provide meals at school for children who attended the school. And suddenly parents with girls at home said, well, if we send our daughter off to the school, the government will feed her, not us. Save money. And she may be able to bring some food home mm. to share with the rest of the family in the evening. This was a remarkable experiment because, yes, the girls got educated, but it also meant there was a reduction in population because the more educated a woman is, the fewer children she's going to have. Mm. And so we get that demographic transformation. So we see, as this document brings up, there is a link, if you like, between population and education. The tragedy that we see at the moment in Afghanistan is that young girls are being prevented from going to school. So they will be spending their time at home, they will not get the education, and they will probably end up going back to having more babies. So that's that's the tragedy of the situation. And it may well be that's the intention of the strict Muslims who are running Afghanistan, that they do want to have more babies running around. Mm. The problem is, I don't think they've got the economy that'll sustain that population growth. Another example of this was um, in Iran, under the Shah. So when I was in Iran in 1973, there was family planning, being encouraged by the then Shah of Iran, even more so his sister. In 1979, we get the revolution, the Ayatollah Khomeini comes to power, cancels all the family planning programs, says we need to have more children in this country. And, of course, it was useful when he went to war against Iraq a few years later. It was useful to have an increase in population. But now you've got so many young people in Iran that the current government in Iran is saying that before you can get married, you've got to have guidance on birth control measures. Mm -hmm. And so Iran is now one of the poster childs or what you can achieve by way of educating parents to be on the whole issue of family planning. And, of course, Iran has continued to grow despite all the international sanctions. The fifth most common language on the internet is Farsi, Mm. so that you've got educated, young, savvy people, some of whom have been out on the streets of late, of course, with with demonstrations, a bit of a threat to the government. But it is quite interesting how you get this linkage with population, and you get certain political commentators who always try to bring everything back to the whole issue of demography, back to population numbers. For example, Dr Peter Zion in the United States talks about the ideal population would be a population of people in their 20s and 30s, perhaps early 40s. They are the people who are most educated, they're the ones who are doing the work, and they're also the ones who are buying property, buying furniture, et cetera. Mm. So they they generate economic activity and also buy stuff as well, whereas older societies like China and, and of course, Russia are just simply running out of people. And as a person gets older, they tend to be more of a burden on the health system and less of a contributor to the working population. So it's very interesting how you've got this school of thought, which goes, well, I was going to say back to Paul Ehrlich, but actually goes back even further Mm. over 200 years ago to a guy called, the Reverend Malthus, who in his book on population, this is how economics got the reputation of being the dismal science. An English commentator said, look, I've read the book by Malthus and I'm so depressed. So economics is obviously a dismal science. And he was sort of saying, well, population is a real problem. It's a driver of progress, but also can cause problems. And that has been a a theme. Even in this country, you know, we've had certain outspoken individuals who said we've got to stop all this migration. Now, some of that may be racially driven, Mm. but it's also because they're saying we have very old, fragile soils. We can't look after too many people. So it's very interesting for me. And so what this report is doing is providing us with a vision about how we can actually improve the world. So it's an inspiring document to read, particularly the full document, which you can download. It's called Earth for All, A Survival Guide for Humanity.
0: You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today, we are looking into the crystal ball, trying to figure out what will happen with the Earth's population over the next 100 years. Now, whether we go off this research or the UN's, either way, the globe will start to see a declining population by the end of the century, so around 2100. Why is that, do you think?
1: Well, it'll it'll be declining, I think, partly because of the changing nature of economics in the sense that if you're running a traditional peasant farming economy, then children are important economic asset because from about the age of five, if not even younger, they can be working on the property. So you do need to have a lot of children. And also the children will die, and so you need to have a few um, heirs and spares, to use the mm-hmm. British Royal Family's phrase, whereas what is happening is that the world is now urbanising, people are moving into the cities, they don't need to have so many children to help run the household because they've also got a lot of machinery that can do that, like washing machines. They're not doing their own farming in these areas. So you, you've got less demand for labour. You've also got, as we've already commented on, women who are becoming more educated. And the balance of the economy is becoming more of a service economy, so you, education, uh, healthcare, that sort of thing, rather than the very labour-intensive Growing of crops, etc., mm. and the, the, the you know we, we're growing more food than ever before, but only about two or three percent of the workforce is actually given over to farming in Australia. Yeah, whereas previously it would have been about fifty percent. Mm-hmm. So there are these structural changes which are playing into this, which means that we will tend to have less need for children, generally speaking.
0: What are the concerns if the population doesn't decline in a
1: fast enough time frame, I suppose? Like, what, what impacts will we see? Well, I think um, the, the report makes it quite clear that we will end up with a very dysfunctional world. The report is also very good. There is a fault line in the debate over population talking about is the problem we have too many people or is the problem that the people we do have consume too much? That is the balance that goes on. Now, this report is saying it's not just a question of raw numbers of people. It's how they choose to live which is why they're talking about upgrading the economic system because what they want to achieve is a situation where people consume less. So they're talking about not necessarily reducing the standard of living. We're not going to be living in caves or anything like that. But they are perhaps looking for, say, the recycling built into an economy. So, for example, in the future, you won't buy a car. In effect, you will have a long-term hire of one because when your car dies would just simply ring the motor car company and say, my car is dead, take it away. Yeah, right. And that gives them an incentive to assemble cars from components that can be disassembled and then recycled. Yeah. It's
0: like Ikea furniture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Put it together. Yeah, and I guess that's another question I wanted to ask you, having read the report, was that idea of consumption and whether it's population versus, yeah, what Yeah. what we're taking on. Do you think humanity is capable of changing our consumption habits?
1: Well, we do change. Um, you know, there was a time when I could remember when practically everybody smoked. Mm. And now you, it's very rare to come across people who smoke and now we've got other campaigns going on regarding alcohol and gambling. So you can change people's consumption. I think also I noticed with my young American students that they are far less concerned about showy goods and, and items and boasting about their possessions. They are a little more willing to live more simply. Now, maybe that's being forced on them by the high cost of living, et cetera, but it certainly shows that it is possible to change people's consumption habits. Going even further back in time, you know, there's a time when people used to spit openly. Charles Dickens in his American tour was horrified, (laughs) even in the White House when he was taken around to see the then US president. You know, you had Americans who were spitting into these large jars.
0: Why? Uh, why were they spitting uh, in jars? Why jazz? were they? Exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's how people change over time. Another yeah. one is the whole question of dueling. Yeah. There was a time when an American vice president was involved in a duel Crazy. and somebody perished. Yeah. It's hard to imagine my Pence or uh, whoever would be involved in a, a duel uh, nowadays. So, we, yes, we can change people's habits over time.
0: Mm. Do you think it's a good thing that we're going to be looking at a declining population? And and declining, not kind of steady, like that idea, because you've talked a lot before about, you know, concerns with certain populations, flatlining and then going into decline. Is it a good thing for us to have a declining population?
1: Well, it's really pointless working out whether it's good or bad. It's happening. Yeah. And what we ought to be doing is preparing people for this new era, which is emerging, uh, which means, for example, that we will need to accept more migrants. At the moment, we're busy turning them away when they arrive on our beaches, but it may well be that anybody who's had the incentive and the courage to sail all the way to Australia should actually be welcomed because mm. we are running out of younger people. It might also you know force us to think about child care. And when you think back to the original kindergarten movement, the children's garden, that came about because Scandinavian countries and northern European countries were worried they were running out of children. Again this goes back to this need to have a large population. And so they decided that they would assist parents if they were to have children by giving them separate uh, caring arrangements. Mm. So that was in response to a previous population scare, uh, just making life more easy for new parents. Perhaps that's what we ought to be looking at here. You know, we're very tentatively moving towards funding of, of childcare and all the rest of it. Perhaps we ought to be a little more ambitious But as I say, it's not just a question of raw numbers. It's how people choose to live as well. And that's the balance that we need to maintain. And it's a balance that is not reflective, for example, in our media because so much of the media, the mainstream media, revolve around consumption.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's all filtered in through everything, the ads, you know, the product placement. Yep. It's all very on purpose. Well, Keith, that was a really fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for bringing it to us. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nicolich.